Father, we just love you. And tonight we ask that your Holy Spirit would continue to lead us, continue to speak to us. Thank you for all that has been given to us today from you. Lord, we just pray that you will write it all upon our hearts and that we'll be able to leave this place knowing you, knowing what you desire for us in a much more beautiful way. In Christ's name, amen.
Last November, I empathized, took a trip to Southeast Asia. We witnessed firsthand children being sold for sex. We witnessed people who desperately are trying to stop that from happening. And it was our goal to understand and to tell those stories and come back and make a difference. You land in Bangkok, it's, it's all sexual tourism. Every doorway, someone is showing you a menu for sex. Every cab you got into, every tuk-tuk you got into, you were constantly bombarded by people trying to sell you a massage, sex, pretty girls, sex shows. The boys actually just come out from nowhere, like, or will grab your arm. They are so aggressive and they're so relentless. The idea that you have that it's women over the age of 18 or old enough to consent for themselves, the idea that they're choosing that, they're not. In addition to that, there are children who are being victimized and boys who are being victimized and young girls who are being victimized. I can't imagine something more heinous than being raped and pillaged every night of your life when you're eight years old. Will there ever be anything that ever exists that's worse than this? I don't think so. I was in one of the red light districts and I was propositioned by a teenage guy. walked up to me, grabbed the inside of my arm, and 
begin to stroke it and was offering me oral sex and was so aggressively pulling on me and tugging on me that I became really disoriented and there was something about the moment that he touched my skin that the reality of the issue just hit me and overwhelmed me. As I sent him away, I remember leaning against the brothel wall, and in my mind's eye, I was just kind of seeing what was happening inside the walls of the brothel. And I tried to turn it off in my head. But the thought kept coming back to me, and a whisper kept coming back to me, saying, these kids don't ever get to look away you get to look away, they don't get to look away. You get to turn it off, they don't ever get to turn it off. Night after night, client after client, children, teenagers don't get to say, okay, I've had enough. That's what this is about. When we came back from Southeast Asia, I spent every waking moment trying to sort out how we would make a difference. And we began to realize that we needed to tell the stories of these children. We needed to not only tell their stories, but to tell the stories of those who spend their days protecting these children, rescuing these children, and restoring these children. And so we decided that we would gather artifacts along the way that would be touch points. This, this will do good. <laughs> Each of these artifacts that we would collect would have a story that would tell you about this issue. These are the numbers off of prostitutes' chests. If someone was in that brothel bar and saw a young guy with 964 on his chest, he would talk to a brothel manager and say, I would like to take 964 away with me for the evening. And that's what these are. They're serial numbers off of the very chests of these two guys that we befriended. These, I think these break my heart the most. Oh, they're so little. We were in Phnom Penh, and at the doorway to a closed child brothel, we found these sandals. Even though those brothels have been closed down, what that means is in that neighborhood, the strategy has changed. And there was a little coffee shop around the corner that we could ask the owner of the coffee shop if there was sex for sale. They would then show us a photo album of different people that were available for sex, and in that photo album would be children as well. This is just an example of how little the feet are of those who are being sold for sex. Mm -hmm. 
These aren't statistics. These are people we know and we've met. And these are children we know their stories. And it's horrible. A mother tried to offer her daughter to us for $5 for oral sex. And we were there. It happened to us. We saw it. But in the midst of it happening, there's a beautiful movement of rescue and restoration. We have met the heroes of this issue who spend their days protecting children, spend their days rescuing children, spend their days restoring children. This was the guy who his powers his scooter, Yang. Yang had a friend of his whose children got uh, abducted um, by traffickers. And when his friend loses his children, Yang just decides to get on a scooter and educates villagers that just aren't aware of what happens in the city. And like, you know, to, to be with someone like Yang, who is 40 years old, who dropped his career choice and said, um, because my friend lost his children to this issue, I'm gonna go into a scooter and make a difference. Um, that floors me. I mean, that's action and, I mean, that's a hero. You know, riding through minefields of Northern Cambodia, <laughs> that's the guy I can look up to. And so Yang, with a little scooter and a little flip chart, goes to villages and helps villagers create a child protection movement within their village. Those are the things that inspire us. And our dream is to inspire people that we would all just be able to say some of the most simple things in our lives can make a difference. And the stuff that we already have in our possession can make an impact. largest roles that I empathize does is that it does bring a voice and a face and a human aspect to this largely abstract kind of issue because they don't have the ability to stand up for themselves so I get the opportunity to stand up for them and that's what speaks to me. When you talk about spreading the word I think when you get into the issue and the, the conversations that we overheard of uh, safe home workers talking about, well, we got to schedule this girl uh, an appointment because we need to have reconstructive surgery done on this eight-year-old's vagina because of the abuse that she suffered. When you hear stories of the boys who, um, because of just the abuse that they've suffered, have to have tampons inserted into their anus to stop the bleeding, you know, that's... I think spreading the word. It's like, no, I want you to get into the mess that is this and, and the pain that is this abuse. 
I mean, I empathize. We can't even say the name of our organization without it kind of jolting you. You know, like, do I empathize? You know, sympathy's one thing. Sympathy gives you room to disassociate. But empathy's radically different because it's like jumping off the high dive into the pool of somebody's suffering. And maybe it'll translate into me doing something. We're trying to build safe homes, develop at-risk community centers, and together, through our events, through our film and forum nights, through our empathy experiences and art exhibits, through our concert events, all those things translate to helping. We dream of a resolve. I mean, it's my dream to see modern day slavery ended. Countless children are being sold and being sold for sex. And we won't rest until we figure out how to end it. These are things that are just so hard to face. Everything that we've been looking at today is just hard to look at. Um, I was mentioning in the film, you know, this whisper that kept coming to me when, you know, you, you, when you see something so intense and so heinous and so heavy, you know, all the defense mechanisms in all of us just, you know, want to close it off or block it out and just, it's just too much. It's too overwhelming. It, to, to make the leap from who we are and, and how we live our lives and to enter into that kind of suffering is a very, very, very difficult thing. And I'm very grateful for the grace of God that comes and gives us the strength. You know, he is the ultimate empathizer. Jesus is the essence of empathy. He came and he dwelt among us. He 
took on our sufferings. The weight of the world came and was placed upon him. And it was all done for us. And without that embedded in the way that we approach these issues of injustice that we've been facing today, we can never cope. We can't get there. We can't make the migration from being an apathetic culture or person to becoming a sympathetic person or culture to hopefully becoming an empathetic person. Apathy is just, I don't care. There's a lot of reasons why people would shut things off. And those reasons are, are, are endless. They're different for each person. There's a reason why we, we, we care, but, but we don't move in. And we're genuinely sorry. We're, we're, we feel badly for what people go through, whether it's our neighbor or someone across an ocean. And, and it's a horrible thing, and we all admit it. And, and somehow we all, most of us, we, we find ourselves in that category most days. But there's something that we're looking for that would rise up within us, that would push us over the edge. And we would move past observing and watching the suffering of others and somehow even past leaning in on what they're going through and listening and understanding, but somehow through that listening and understanding and looking and, and walking with, we're able to, even for a moment or for a sliver of time, enter into the shoes of someone who's suffering. And there's a lot of ways that that bridge can happen, but ultimately it's not going to happen without the Lord leading us there. And that's really where we need to land as we leave this place after a full day of engaging such intense content, stories, the stories of people's lives. And so we're just tonight going to ask the Lord to give us a lot of grace to get there. Uh, we filmed this project uh, a few years ago, and um, in about 1994-95, Julie and I as musicians, we we're doing a benefit and kind of a missions thing for uh, a ministry that was rescuing uh, ladies out of Calcutta and, and their children out of forced prostitution. And there's something about when an issue like this comes on your radar screen. You know, Philippians says you're accountable to the things you attain or what is put in front of you. And, and it's like it comes on your radar screen and it, it never goes away. You know, when you buy that shirt at the mall and then suddenly you notice the, the 30 other people who bought it, but before you bought it, you didn't see it ever, you know? Um, and you're like, oh, I can't wear that shirt. Simon and I, who shoots a huge amount of our film, you know, we separately bought the same shirt. When we travel together, you know, we have to coordinate, okay? <laughs> but, uh, and, but it's like, when these things come across your path, they're not meant to leave. They're meant to be there. They're meant to stay there. And so you've got to figure out a way to, to cope with that and to deal with that and to, and to become an empathizer, to enter into the story of someone else and to walk with them through that. 
And that, again, is going to look different for all of us. But in, in 95, it came on our radar screen, and we just couldn't get past it. It just kept coming at us from different angles, and we'd get a breather for six months, and then the next thing you know, something on TV or the newspaper, and, you know, it just all come around. And, um, a, a, a big, beautiful spiritual awakening in my father's life before he passed away in 1997 came through human trafficking. We didn't even call it really that back then. And he was at that same benefit where we were playing music and he had heard uh, the speaker that was there kind of speak at a different place and it just started mowing him over. And what, what, what could have been something in his case that he pushed away and ran away from, it became the thing about God that really made sense to him. All of a sudden, what he had been critical of, of faith and, and even spirituality in an American context of church, all of that kind of disappeared. And, and I saw a passion come alive in him the last couple years of his life. And it was, it was over justice issues. And when he passed away, we, we set his memorial fund up uh, to fund rescuing those ladies and girls out of Calcutta. And again, you know, God will bring stuff through, through your path. One of my biggest philosophies in life is big doors open on small hinges. And that's just the way God works. And he'll, he'll nudge you along in little simple ways. And he'll bring relationships to you. And you'll play music at a benefit. And you didn't know it was going to change the rest of your life. But you got to be open to those kinds of things. you got to be willing to embrace what God brings in front of you. And you got to create in your life a discipline and a rhythm and a space that God can speak and that you can move in the directions that he's prompting you or nudging you or leading you or yelling at you or whatever it is. And so I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not a, 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 in any way something amazing or magnificent. I'm just a dude, right? I'm just a guy who this came across my path, and I simply said, I got to figure out something to do. I can't put my head on the pillow at night without wrestling it every single night. And as you do enter in to these things, I just want you to brace yourself. And I love the panel earlier today where they were there were warnings going out saying, yes, we need to go. Yes, we need to give. Yes, we need to enter in. But we also need to be led into that process. And, and, and God will give you that way. It's kind of, there's this concept in theology of what about Bob? It's an old movie. That Some deep truths in it. It's baby steps. If you haven't seen it, go rent it. But you got to appreciate the baby steps, man. I mean, we talk about diving in off the high dive into the pool of someone's suffering. That, that's cool. In my session today, you know, there are, we were talking about this. There are, there are those kids who are crazy and first time in the water, they cannonball it out, you know, and they just go right for it. Um, but, but most people, you know, that's not the case. You get into deep waters and you start freaking out, wigging out a little bit, and you don't know what to do with all of that abyss that's surrounding you. Um, and so you start in the shallow end and work your way. I, I don't care how we get in the pool, man. We just need to get in the pool. And if we can get in and, and just take small steps to begin to make a difference, 
and to pay attention to the small things that might swing open the bigger things, then that's what we need to pay attention to. And anytime you're trying to address issues of injustice, it's complex, it's abstract. That's why we like to use the arts, because they're complex and they're abstract. And, and, and sometimes you look at them and, you know, one person has one point of view and the other person has another point of view. You, we all see it differently. And, and really, that's the way it is with issues of injustice. They're very abstract, very complex. What are we going to do about the demand side of human trafficking? What are we going to do about, you know, the commercialization of, you, 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 you know, what's happening in the United States with sex and this and that? And what are we going to do with, you know, and, and we've got all these different ways of coming at it. And we need prosecutions and political stuff. And we need, you know, and every issue of injustice has these complexities to them. And, man, it'll make your head spin. And that's why we have to trust that the Lord's going to lead us into it all. And so there's not three steps, you know, go home, I'm going to give you three things to, to do. It, it's a journey that you have to enter in. I, I love the picture of a labyrinth. A labyrinth looks like a maze, but it's really not a maze. It's actually just a long and winding road that leads you to the center. And what you think is a dead end is never a dead end. Even the hardest stuff that you personally have gone, had to gone through, it's made you who you are. And if you're in the middle of it, you hate that I just said that. But I want you to know that bracing yourself for this is probably going to bring you more joy than the pain. You want to know what the pain is? The pain is knowing that things like this exist on the planet. Everything we've talked about today, the whole idea of life and justice and sanctity. The worst part is knowing that all of this exists and doing nothing about it. That's how you'll get in a funk. That's how you're going to get in a depression. That's how you're going to have all your theology spiral out of control. And trust me, I, I've been in the middle of all of that. I, I used to teach out of the Word, and I have a whole archive of teachings and mess. I, I can't even go back to them hardly anymore. I, 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 this has been an undoing in me personally. It's, it's, it's changed the way that I can live my life. And all of us are expected to do something reasonable. And those reasonable things every once in a while surge into a radical thing that happens. But we all have to be willing to step in and let God do what he needs to do in us and through us. And as we take that long and winding road, you know, along the way, it'll become more and more and more clear of what you're meant to do and the rhythm of life that you're meant to have and those that you're meant to care for and love and serve, they'll end up right in front of you. All those hurdles that make us apathetic, all those hurdles that keep us from going into empathy, once we really get the stories and once we really begin to understand whether it's our neighbor and what they're going through, when you get it and understand it, you don't care what the hurdles are, what kept you from being a good neighbor the past five years. Once you understand them and get what they're going through, all those barriers go away. You don't even remember what, it, what kept you from caring for your neighbor who was going through cancer, but you thought they were fine for the past five years, you know? 
Somehow it all just works out when you get it. And that's why we have these gatherings, you know, these sacred assemblies calling us to the heart of God and that his justice would come alive within us all. So if you want to know what we do as an organization, you can go check out our website. We're not going to take the time to talk about that tonight. But what I want you to know is, you know, Pete, the photographer who was on the film that you watched, uh, you know, he said, we get to be a voice, and that is true. And he said, but I get to stand up for people who don't stand up for them. I just want you to know this, that of all things, children don't need voices. If you've ever hung out with a group of kids, a safe home is no different. Kids in at-risk villages are no different. Kids hanging out in American inner city, no given. I mean, they're rowdy, loud, and even kids who have gone through serious trauma and victimization, these kids are survivors. Trust me, they've got stuff to say. They have a voice. All we want to be as an organization is an amplification to their voice. All we want to do is just be a mouthpiece and, and let what they have to say come through and, you know, hand them a mic. And if we can do that through a little bit of film and photography and some artifacts to take their life, something from their life that they've lived in, their space, and bring it to your space, that's what we want to do. But the bottom line is that we simply want these kids to be able to tell their story. Once they tell their story, the rest is taken care of. We really don't have to do much else. Because when kids tell their story, we tend to kind of get it at that point. It moves past $30 billion crime business. Two children a minute, and the stats keep going and going. If you can just hear one voice, it'll change you. And the Lord's going to lead you into those things. Uh, here we go. With I, I want to share a, uh, a little passage with you and explain how we're going to spend the rest of our time together. And this is based on Amos. Um, I look at people like Hosea and Isaiah and, 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 and Amos and, you know, there's just something uh, about what they noticed that was around them. You know, Hosea literally got in and walked into the shoes of of the Lord and felt the way he feels for people. You know, Isaiah, one day he had a point of view of God's people and then he met with the Lord and he went through an undoing and he began to see not with his own eyes anymore, not with, hear with, not with his own ears, began to see with the Lord's eyes and hear what the Lord heard. And it changed. And I mean, if you read what happened after that encounter, man, and, and that undoing that took place in him, it was beautiful and powerful. And in, in Amos... Uh, you know, we have God speaking again to his people. And he say, he, he's saying to his people, look at the injustice of your neighbor. Look at the injustice that's happening over here with this tribe. Look at the injustice that's happening with this people group. Look at the injustice that's happening over here. And, and, and everybody who are God's people, they would get, yeah, look at, look at how bad they are. Look at how bad they are. Look at how bad it is over there, right? And then all of a sudden, God turns it. And he says, and you're worse than them all. Because you see it, but you do nothing about it. And this is what he had to say to them. He says, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me offerings, I will not accept them. 
I will have no regard for them. He says, away from me with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. And he begins to unpack this idea for his people that if your heart will be his heart, if our heart will be his heart, he says, then all of a sudden my eyes will begin to notice you again and your gatherings, I will be in the center of them and your music will come to me and I will have a listening ear and you'll get my attention, but not when you neglect justice. And I'm so proud of the American church right now. And those of you who've known me for a long time, I I had some gnarly things to say in my 20s, as you do. And as I've grown up a little bit more, um, I I understand, you know, how we've gotten where we are. Uh, And and I'm not happy with a lot of it. But what I am happy about is the surge that I see taking place all across the U.S., in God's people, even around the world, for a renewed heart for justice, for the things that God cares about. And so we're going to come up and and just enter into some singing, some scripture reading, some worship, some contemplation. And once again, I encourage you to just engage the exhibits. You may have been through them before, but this time I want you to go back into them. And I want you to just even feel free to get out of your seat and go pray over. Uh, Every image, everything you see back there is directly connected to people that we help, whether it's Hope Chest or I Empathize or everybody else that's represented in this room. Things that you've been encountering are the people that need our prayer, our love, our support. And and tonight, through through our own encounter with the Lord, I think those things are going to come alive in a much more beautiful way for all of us than they were yesterday. So let's do this together. And let's ask the Lord uh, through this prayer, and you're welcome to read it along with me, and then we'll sing uh, this song together. This is a prayer of repentance and a prayer for empathy. Forgive us, Father, for seeing only ourselves. Open our eyes that we may see the needs of others. Open our ears that we may hear their cries. Open our hearts that we may feel their anguish and their joy. Let us not be afraid to defend the oppressed and the poor and the powerless because of the anger and the might of the powerful. Show us where love and hope and faith are needed and use us to bring them to those places. Open our ears and our eyes and our hearts and our lives that we may in these coming days be able to do some work of justice and peace with you. Arise, O Lord, lift up your eyes. Don't forget them helpless. Arise, O Lord, lift up your eyes. Don't forget them helpless. Arise, O Lord, lift up your eyes. Don't forget them helpless. Arise, O Lord, lift up your eyes. Don't forget them helpless. Arise, O Lord, lift up your eyes. Don't forget them helpless. Arise.
So Psalm 10 says, why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes that he devises. He boasts of the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked does not seek him. In his thoughts, there is no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. He is haughty, and your laws are far from him. He says to himself, nothing will shake me. I'll always be happy and never have trouble. His mouth is full of curses and lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near the villages. From ambush, he murders the innocent, watching in secret for his victims. He lies in wait like a lion in cover. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless, and he drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed, and they collapse, and they fall under his strength. And he says to himself, God has forgotten. He covers his face. God never sees. forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me into account? But you, oh God, do see trouble and grief. You consider it and you take it in hand. The victim commits himself to you. 
and you are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evil men. Call him into account for his ways that he would be found out. You hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed in order that man who is of the earth may terrify no more. Come on, let's sing this together. Let's just begin to enter in. Let's let the Lord just work in our hearts.
sing this song, I like to sing it from a victim's point of view and stand in the gap for them and sing, even though you say they have a voice, this might be something they might not know that they need to cry out. And we can cry that out on their behalf. So if you don't mind, I mean, you, you can stand up, you can sit, I don't care what you do. But from the bottom of your gut, can you join us in this prayer tonight and intercede for these beautiful young babies who need someone to stand in for them and ask God to do what we know he's going to do. He will stand up and he will bring justice. Come on, ready. Arise, oh Lord, lift up your eyes, don't forget I'm helpless. Arise, oh Lord, lift up your eyes, don't forget I'm helpless. Arise, oh Lord, lift up your eyes, don't forget I'm helpless. Arise, oh Lord, lift up your eyes, don't forget I'm helpless. Arise, oh Lord, lift up your eyes.
I want to lead us in a call and response prayer. Uh, I'll give the call, and then we'll all respond together. Lord, hear our prayer. For all those who have been forced into unemployment, who long to return to work, for all those who struggle to support their families, Lord, hear our prayer. For the children who are being born into this world of conflict and violence, for women and mothers who suffer needlessly, Lord, hear our prayer. For all those who have fallen victim to hatred and inhumanity, for those loved ones who are left behind to mourn for the souls of those whose hearts are cold, Lord, hear our prayer. For the children who cry in their beds at night and wonder, what have I done? For the mothers and fathers who must try to explain the unexplainable, Lord, hear our prayer. For the redemption of souls, both victim and perpetrator, for those who commit themselves to the forgiveness of sins, Lord, hear our prayer. Amen.
So one of my favorite artifacts that we have collected along the way, which we have artifacts from Eastern Europe and Russia that represent people's stories. We have artifacts from Southeast Asia, from Mexico, from the U.S., all of them directly connected to uh, the people that we link up with and partner with and help out. One of my favorites is the spark plug. And uh, it's, it's back on one of these tables back here. And one of the, the images up here. So my friend Yang, you saw him in the Southeast Asia film earlier. Uh, Yang was a guy who was uh, studying and working to be a pastor and a minister. He was working hard at it. And some, uh, some of his friends had given up what they thought their kids to a, a better life and what they didn't realize was that they had given their lives their kids lives over to some traffickers and once the kids were in the, these men's hands they never saw their kids again and this so obviously messed with Yang that he just couldn't sit still any longer and there was a woman who had been in Cambodia who was trying to tackle this issue within this country and he had been in contact with her and he basically went to her and just said look I, I don't know what I can do but I got to do something and he wrestled with that for quite some time but eventually he came up with this idea and together they put together a plan and, and Yang basically said look all I got is a scooter and I don't know how that can make a difference but Let's figure it out. And so they were needing someone to go to villages and to help create this child protection movement, just like you saw in the film. And anyway, so we said, Yang, to tell your story, man, we, we just need something that, you know, tells the story of, of your scooter. And lost in translation, he had no idea why I had to get a spark plug out of his, out of his scooter. He wanted to buy me a new one took me to a shop and was like, let's use these. And I'm like, no, I need the one out of your scooter. We can put new ones in your scooter, but I need that one. And so eventually, he, and it was like two years later that I think Helen finally told me, I think he just got it, why you needed the spark plug. <laughs> so the language barrier sometimes is tough, right? And I just couldn't get it communicated. But what, what his spark plug communicates to us is something very simple and something very amazing. And I think it's something that is the biggest takeaway for us. You know, Yang just offered up what he had. He didn't try to give himself to something he wasn't. Um, and if I could tell you the stories of how effective he is just being who he is and doing what he does and going around, you know, from village to village on scooters. He's, uh, we have a little outreach and uh, an advocacy really fun thing we do in Denver called Scooter Hero. A bunch of us get on scooters and, you know, we're going to try and really raise some funds this year for them. And anyway, as, as uh, this, the scooter inspires us, you know, it's, it, it speaks something to each of us. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what do we already have? You know, um, I, I don't know who was sharing, but, you know, we all love this Old Testament, Old Testament concept of, you know, leaving the corners of the field. Uh, for those that are in need, not going back a second time and 
getting the grapes that had fallen to the ground during the first round of harvesting the grapes and leaving them for those that are in need. And it's just simply, you know, you're not saying to, to the guy who owns the vineyard, you know, go, go get some bread and give that to, the, to these people. You're saying, just take what you've already got and, and make sure you leave some for those that are in need. And, and that's a real challenge as we leave uh, here tonight is to walk through this journey of saying, God, what is it that you've already given me? Uh, one of the things I love about uh, the organization that I get to lead is it, it's, it's really, really small when it comes to right here. You're looking at two dudes. This is just us. It, it's Mark and I. No one else is. It, it, we're the ones kind of going at it full time. The reason why I empathize seems so big and so effective, it's because of people like you. I mean, we're like 98% of volunteer movement. It's just a bunch of people giving what they've got and making a difference. The music that you hear to our films, it's a professional musician who doesn't charge us a penny and says, here's here's music that I want to offer. Photographers do that. Filmmakers do that. Our web designer, just a web guy, it's his career, and he just says, till 2 in the morning, I'll work 10 till 2 on you know, the stuff that needs to be done. He's just giving his time. The people who do our accounting and our bookkeeping, uh, they're people who volunteer their time. It's just volunteer, volunteer, volunteer. I love that. We're trying to help grassroots movements around the world that are taking on trafficking issues, and it's grassroots people who are advocating for grassroots movements. And so I want you to leave this place just wrestling with that idea. And some of you, you know, that's already come to you and you're already out there doing it. May God expand your work. Um, There was a group of ladies. I'm going to show you one more film and we're going to close out with a a last tune here. Uh, But there's a group of ladies who started out with their spark plug. You know, they just entered into understanding this issue of human trafficking with... uh, uh, the area that they lived in, and, and it was really just a mom and, and a group of, of her daughters and some friends and about five of them all together. They had read David Batstone's book, Not For Sale, and it just really got to them. And so they said, you know what, we can just gather our friends for a little conference and a get-together, and we can talk about, you know, what we can do to make a difference. And they just were using their relationships, their spark plug. They were going to host this little event, and it it ended up turning into a really big thing. And lots of cool stuff sprung out of that. And a lot of the front-range human trafficking uh, community can point back to that little event that those ladies put on just offering up their spark plug, giving what they had. And sometimes that leads you in to even bigger things, right? Um, We did a little benefit uh, for Calcutta in 1995, and look what it it got us into. (laughs) This is all we do now. Um, and, and, And the same thing happened with these ladies, and it led them into something bigger. And, and of, of all things, for a group of housewives and career ladies uh, out there just, you know, getting, getting life done and doing what they do uh, in the rhythms of life in that capacity, of all things for them to take on, they had this idea that God gave them to, to begin to engage the trucking industry, truckers. Did you hear the part about his mom and five ladies? And the, okay. They decided to take on the trucking industry. And what we do is we adopt grassroots projects 
And when they don't have capacity to, to take it to where they want to go, we come in and say, you know, what are those ideas? We, we hone it all in together. We partner together, and we, 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 we create media, you know, not only that you're witnessing out here, but we create media for our partners so that they have tools they can use. And so we said, we're going to help you out. And that led Simon and I to traipse across the United States. I was at a truck show in Dallas with 40,000 truckers. Uh, hanging out with them for a weekend. Um, we, we traveled to Toledo. We went undercover into some truck stops. I mean, some crazy, crazy stuff. Um, and, and it all came out of these ladies just saying, we're going to give ourselves to this. And you can check that out, truckersagainsttrafficking.com, uh, and, and their ministry is chapter61.org. Uh, and, uh, and so it led us to Toledo, Ohio, to a, a young lady by the name of Sherry, who's now 19 years old and at the time was 15 years old. And uh, she was featured on a major uh, news network uh, a few years ago. You may remember the story. You may remember her. Uh, and she became a victim of uh, a trafficking scheme. And it was very organized, but uh, at the time it didn't seem that way. But uh, when she was rescued by a trucker, by the way, she was exploited by a trucker and then rescued by a trucker, um, when, when she was rescued by that trucker and the police came in after he made this call, uh, they were able to, to bust open, you'll see it in the film here, uh, a, a pretty big trafficking ring. It's a really cool story. Uh, but what we're trying to do is train the trucking industry. There are three million truckers on the road. They're the eyes and ears on the highways and byways and at truck stops and rest areas and kids that are being trafficked in the United States. The FBI believes over 100,000 kids a year uh, are, are being sexually exploited, minors. Uh, the average age for a, a, a person that enters into their first kind of commercial sex act is around 12, 13 years old. Numbers vary all in there. But uh, what I'm saying is this is happening to our kids in our own neighborhoods, in our own cities. And so uh, the truckers are out there just, we're recruiting them to be the eyes and the ears. And then they have the, the, the 1-800 trafficking hotline, and they're able to call in with these wallet cards, some great stuff. Anyway, we're making a film for them, and we're making the training film. Training sh film is in post-production right now. And so Sherry and her cousin, uh, they were living together, so they're more like sisters than cousins, and they were on their way to a Toledo Wendy's, uh, and they were going to get a Frosty. It was, I think it was Free Frosty Day at Wendy's, and so they were going to go get a Free Frosty. And we went to that very Wendy's they were on their way to, and, and you know, we picked up a Frosty, and you know, this was their only goal, was just, I'm going to walk from my house to the neighborhood Wendy's, and I'm going to go get a Frosty. That was it. And along the way, they, they had been targeted by traffickers. Trafficker kidnapped them. Big story behind that, how that all happened. Uh, but anyway, took him to his house. Uh, in, and he's in jail now. Uh, but we were able to go to that house, which is abandoned. And we were able to go to a room that she was taken in inside that house. And he had a basement area, and then he had an out, outdoor garage. And specifically in the outdoor garage, he had created this uh, makeshift strip club where he had a pole, and he had sound system and couches, and then he had mirrors everywhere. And he would make these young teenagers 
practice their dance moves because he was going to exploit them and prostitute them at truck stops, motels, and eventually at this particular strip club in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, uh, that they were all connected with. And it was, you know, a a veneer for uh, child prostitution and other things. And so, anyway, we were able to get inside that room and uh, collect, I don't want to blind anybody, and collect this artifact. And you can see there that it it says Naughty Girl on it. And this is the very mirror that Sherry had to look in and, and to practice her moves because if she messed up her moves, they would beat down her little 14 year old cousin. And then they kept swapping them in and out and brainwashing them, finally getting them to the point where they were completely broken. And so they got to a truck stop in Detroit, and and one of the girls would have to stay in the car with the pimp as a coercion tactic. The other girl then would have to go with an older prostitute that this guy had victimized when she was 15, and now this girl was had become a victimizer. And, and so they would go up to the trucks, and little 15-year-old Sherry... Uh, would have to serve these clients inside of the cabs of their truck, and this other lady would stand watch. And if she gave up anything suspicious and tried to alert the driver that she was uh, not there on her own will, then one cell phone call away to to the pimp's vehicle, and her cousin would be injured. And so that's the setup for this piece. But what I, I want you to hear her story, but what I also want you to know is that This is five ladies who had this idea to engage the trucking industry uh, and to recruit them uh, to be the watchmen and watchwomen over our teenagers. And we're proud to partner with them on this initiative. And uh, the training film will be out in a couple weeks. And this is our Truckers Against Trafficking film right here in in the United States. These are the kinds of things that are going down. We all went in, and it was me and my cousin Chrissy and my cousin Cody. We went in and asked my mom if we could go down and get some Frosties before dinner. Um, And she said, yeah. Me and Chrissy's walking, and that's when the Lincoln pulled up. From the very, very beginning, they drilled it into my head. They drilled it into her head that, you know, if we try to act up, something really bad was going to happen. He threw me into the dining room table, busted me up pretty good, um, but Chrissy, he dragged up the stairs by her hair, threw her down the stairs, and did it again like three more times. I didn't want to end up dead, I didn't want her dead, and it be my fault, you know, I mean, it's like they had us completely wrapped, completely controlled, you know, to where we were brainwashed to where we were like, okay, we have to do this or else, you know, something bad could happen. I mean, that's what they did. They just played us off each other, you know, and it worked. (laughs) Here we are, you know, I'm 15 years old, my cousin is 14, and we're here at a truck stop, you know, being forced to work it, you know, being forced to go to truck to truck asking you know if the guy would like to have sex with us you know and we're young girls terrified out of our minds
that truck driver um, paid for um, sexual acts with me. Um, so I had to do that with another guy that I didn't even know. It was just an awful experience how many truck drivers, you know, was okay with it. Um, you know, not thinking that, you know, this is somebody's daughter, you know, this is somebody's family member, you know, that it is missed, you know, you don't think of that, you know, that they don't want to be here. Thank God what saved me was that truck driver that did think that, you know, that called in and said, hey, you know, this is whoever at the TA truck stop, you know, and we have some girls out here that look pretty young. Oh, that truck hurt. <laughs> the one that made that phone call, I, I think about him all the time. I have never met him. I don't know who he is, but boy, I owe him a lot. <laughs> if it wasn't for him calling the police and saying that she just doesn't look right there, I have no idea what what would have happened. I'm just, I'm so, I'm, boy, am I thankful to him, to that truck driver. God, am I thankful to him. And if, he's, if he ever sees this, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Pretty cool, huh? One phone call. Um, we're just asking the trucking industry to make make the call. See something suspicious, make the call. There's so much that we can do to make a difference, and each of us have our part. Every one of you have your spark plug, and I'm not the guy that's going to tell you what it is. You're going to have to sort that, and it's a journey that all of us, I think, in this room are open to, entering into or have already done it and I'm going to pray that God would just continue to work in you and through you uh, as it relates to justice issues and all of the subject matter that we've talked about today um, and, and let's just give ourselves to the Lord and we'll, we'll close out here with a scripture and a song. Father we do say that uh, without you we, we have really no direction on these kinds of things. Without you, uh, there is just simply a wall that is impossible to get over. But with you, all things are possible. And with you, Lord, every one of us can find a grace that flows through us to do a specific work. And Lord, I just pray that you'll continue to open up what that might be to each of us in this room. For those of us that are living in that and, and have found that, God, I pray for favor and for expansion. And I pray, Lord, that we'll continue to work with you on bringing justice to those who do not have it. For those, Lord, who are stepping in and, uh, for the very first time in their lives beyond their own life and stepping into the lives of others, we pray, Lord, that you will give them the bridges and pathways to get that done. And we pray it uh, by God's grace. Amen.
So Jesus said, here's the gospel. I'm reading it to you today. This is who I am. And it was out of Isaiah. And we all love this passage. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to comfort all who mourn, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to lead you in one more tune. And uh, may God be with you. And we just are so grateful that we've had this day together.
Matthew, would you like to come up? So there's so many people that help today be a, what it is. Matthew's one of them. And we love this guy. Matthew, why don't you just wrap us all up? Thank you, Brad. Well, we love you. We love you guys. We thank you for amazing conference weekend. So thank you. Yeah, God's uh, really touched our hearts in so many ways. So uh, why don't we just join in a final prayer here together. Uh, I'm really grateful for what God is doing among us in our community, in our city. And I'm excited to go out from here tonight um, feeling united with you. Uh, that we're really, we're really just committed together for God's heart for life and justice. And so thank you sincerely from us, from everyone here. And uh, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you, God. We thank you for who you are. God, that you stood up and read the scroll of Isaiah and declared your faithfulness to those in suffering. God, and your goodness and mercy to rescue us. So God, we just enter into your heart. We take up all those things, God, that you wove into our hearts and minds today. And we thank you for them. God, they're precious to us. Your heart, your thoughts are precious to us, God. And as our Heavenly Father, God, and and us as your children, we cry out to you and just say, thank you, God. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on this earth, in this city, in our homes, in our families, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you soon.